I'm gonna, I actually had to divide the one up that I was going to do today because there's just so much I wanted to talk about in Proverbs in regards to the tongue. I just it would it would have seemed like a uh, like a contradict like a contradiction of sorts to tell people to be slow to speak and be few of words and then have too many words in a sermon. So I cut this one in half. So I want to deal with half of it today and then half of it next time. Um, and Next time we'll kind of deal with a different aspect of it, but today I want to deal with it in just what does the Proverbs hold out to us is part of us, So, because last week was this, Proverbs holds out to us as Christians, we are to be self-ruled people. That is to be a self-governed, uh, a self-managed, a, 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 you, you oversee yourself, you, you are your own master in that sense. And I kind of summed it up this way, that if you can't govern yourself then ultimately you're going to be governed by something or someone. That, that's just reality. You will be governed by something. And Proverbs says, be governed by yourself. And uh, when we looked at this, it's how we defined Christians as being a self-ruled people. And so let me, let me go through that really quickly again, just to kind of help us coming into today, because this n- none of these topics are just kind of random proverbial topics. This isn't... Uh, this isn't, you know, Cracker Jack or get fortune cookie kind of sayings. These are all, all included in one another that if we lack in these areas, they will often bleed into other areas. But I want us to understand the whole thrust of why we should even talk about some of these uh, wisdom statements. Why, sh- why should we even talk about biblical virtue? And uh, it's because we, we want to be self-ruled people. So here's how I defined this last time. I said... To be self-ruled is the ability to properly exercise godly rule. I want to really emphasize that too. To exercise godly rule and authority over not only yourself, but also others that you rule over. And this does not mean then to be ruled or dominated by others. And notice I attached dominated to that one because that you may think, okay, that, that seems maybe self-contradictory. But like I said... Being self-ruled and not having others rule over you does not mean lack of authority when it comes to being a self-ruled person. I am not arguing that being self-ruled people means we disconnect from all authority and we just make it up as we go and therefore we're self-ruled people. Right, right, brethren, that is actually childhood. A child wants to separate himself from everything else and just rule himself based upon his next passion or his next desire. And rather, self-ruled people are ones who want to exercise responsibility and rule over themselves under who? Under God's rule and God's authority. And, and that may seem kind of like a weird concept to us because in America, we think to be free, I'm my own master, without reference to some other authority. And brethren, that's, just, that's not a biblical understanding of one, what it means to then be free, and what it too means to rule. We could say... In one sense, people never leave the reins of some kind of authority. The question is always going to be, who is your authority? And then, based upon who your authority is, what does that authority say about you? Because, brethren, listen, listen. Don't let your context bleed into your thinking or let 
other people determine how you think about rule and authority. Because the Scripture defines rule and authority for you. To define you as a self-ruled person means you are ruled over by God. And you know what that makes you in the Bible when you're ruled over by God? A free man. Yes, wise. Amen. <laughs> Jump in the gun. Yes, wise, but free. A wise man is not a slave. He's ultimately not a slave. He is a free man or a free woman. If you subject yourself under King Jesus, He doesn't make you a slave in the way that the world does. You know what Christianity brings with it? It doesn't bring it a list of 600 or 700 or 800 meticulous rules to follow. You know what Christianity does for people? It gives them the spirit to walk in what? Freedom. No longer under bondage or domination or rule by other powers or authorities that come in to oppress or suppress you. So that's what I mean by a self-ruled person. You are a person who is under God's rule and authority. And brethren, that makes you free according to the Bible. That makes you a free person. But there is also those, if they, if they fail to want to submit to Christ, if they fail to want to grow up in the Word, if they fail to want to grow up into maturity, and they, and they want to throw off what they appear to be Christian chains and Christian shackles, you know what they're going to end up being that the Bible says? Rather, they're going to end up being a slave. They will have the appearance of freedom, and in reality, they will be nothing more than what God calls them. They are slaves, and they are in slavery to their base passions and desires. And you know what? Someone will always be a master over them. Always. And brethren, that's why the warning right there at the beginning of Proverbs is, is so important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Who despises wisdom and instruction? Fools. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, we want to think of Proverbs 11.6. The righteousness of, and we read this last time, the righteousness of the upright, what? Delivers them. You think about that Exodus imagery. It delivers you from oppression. It delivers you from slavery, from bondage. Makes you free. But the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. You see, the treacherous think they're free because they indulge their lust. And the Bible says they are captive. Brethren, let's translate that a little different. They are slaves. They are no better than a slave. So we then, we ought to be a people who can govern ourselves, rule ourselves, master ourselves. And as we said last time, the end goal of this, the, 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 the whole telos, the end of the church and every Christian is to grow into mature manhood, as Ephesians put it, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You got to love translations from Greek into English because that, that is a run-on sentence, right? The, the fullness of the measure of the stature, it's like, it just doesn't stop. But that's, that's it, brother. And that's what we, that's our end goal. We are going from childhood to adulthood, from adolescence to maturity. And this is ultimately what it means for us to grow up into maturity. So here we begin to ask then the question, what wisdom does King Jesus have for us, for his sons, for his daughters, to grow up in that maturity, to grow up in wisdom, to be self-ruled people? What does he have for us? So I want to address our first one here today. 
and that is be self-ruled with your tongue. Be self-ruled people with your words. And if you want to be self-ruled and not ruled by something else, brethren, once again, you don't have to look very far to who you need to start commanding or who you need to start exercising authority over of. You start exercising authority over your own tongue. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 10.19. Here's another one. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he has a cool spirit, is a man of understanding. Proverbs 17.27. And another one. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 21.23. And brethren, listen. The reason why you don't have to look far is because speech is literally just a, an extension of who you are. It is an extension of your person. You don't have to look far to begin to realize the way I become a self-ruled, a self-disciplined, a mature Christian is I can control the tongue. I can control the very thing that puts on display for others who I am, what kind of person I am. Brethren, and ultimately, how you display Jesus Christ. How you see people is often how you hear them. Right? There's, there's always a correlation there. Right? And now some people will hear you and not want to see what you are. But brethren, don't mistake people looking at you and going, oh, they say mean things because they're Christians, when in reality you're just saying truth. But don't dismiss that for going, I don't really need to worry about so much my words because people will always misunderstand me or they'll always try to reinterpret what I'm saying. No, brethren, listen. You be balanced in this. Yes, the world will look at you and hear you, and then they'll look back at you and go, no, he's not a very great guy. But don't mistake that for having a, a, uh, a lack of discipline in your tongue and then excusing yourself from saying, I don't have to discipline my tongue. People will just have to get to know me to really know who I am. Brethren, that's not true. How you talk is a display of who you are. And speech, brethren, is an everyday occurrence. And the reason the Proverbs have so much to say about it and remind us of this is that your words, brethren, they're like a river or like the Proverbs say, a deep water. You have a well and a fountain of words. They're plentiful and guess what? Your words are always ready to overflow. They're always ready to burst forth out of the seams and to not restrain yourself, to not hold back your words, your river of words would be like to break open a dam and just let your words flood in and you speak whatever you want to say. You say whatever is on your mind. Whatever burdens your heart comes rushing forth out of your mouth and you will be like one where a river comes forth gushing because it no longer has any sort of restraint. And brethren, those words, if I need to even tell you this, as you know, have consequences. As James puts it, sets hellfire ablaze. Or as the Proverbs put it, unleashes a flood upon people. And there's a phrase that has been used uh, in apologetics sometimes, and I think it's helpful for this, but there's a, an apologetic phrase where it goes something like this. I, and it's not perfect, so just bear with me. But you'll know what I'm trying to say. There's a phrase that says, when you're doing like apologetics, one great way to do apologetics is actually to stop talking and let the other person talk. 
And uh, I may, it may have been someone you guys know who said something like this. Let the unbeliever talk long enough and he will what? He'll hang himself. Right? And the, and the whole idea is let the unbeliever spew out what he thinks is knowledge, spew out what he thinks is truth. And you know what unbelievers do, brethren? Because they're living a contradiction, they live in God's world, but they don't want to live like they are in God's world. You know what's going to end up happening? Contradiction. So you let them talk long enough, brethren, and guess what comes out of their mouth? Contradiction. And you know why it eventually rushes to the surface? Because they've opened the dam of their words, and it is flooded out now. And now it's there for the world to see. And brethren, this idea of simply being someone who's trying to, uh, to, to, to learn how to be a self-ruled Christian must look at that and realize that that principle doesn't just apply for the unbeliever and the person you're out there talking to. That definitely applies to you. If you're not one who is serious in this matter, you will find yourself to be living a life where you spew forth a lot of speech. And brethren, you know what it does? It shows forth contradiction in your life. It shows forth that what Jesus Christ is on display for other people is not how you speak. And it's not how you act. And it's not how you're viewed. And ultimately, brethren, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be people who, when they open their mouths, hang themselves by their own words. Brother, we don't want to be met with no restraint, no discretion, and find ourselves a fool in the midst, as the proverb says, in the midst of transgression, because words are many. We don't want to be those kind of people. Because, brethren, that ultimately is a sign of the fool. It's a sign of one who is not self-ruled. It's not a sign that you fear the Lord and you accept wisdom and instruction. And brethren, we are being warned in this. What the culture often, and this happens in the church too. This happens in books that you're going to read. Help books for Christians that says, you know what? Every time you have a problem, just, just let it spew forth. Just let all your words out. Get it off your chest. Tell someone this. Be honest with them with this. Do this. Do this. And we never look at the Bible to see, well, what does the Bible actually say about how I should engage with my words and how I should begin to talk with others? And we are being warned here, brethren, that it is not, listen, it's not a virtuous thing to let your speech pour out unfiltered and unrestrained. It is not a virtuous thing. Now, listen, there are caveats to be made. You can ask me about them later. You just need to hear that. Because people want to hear caveats so that they don't think none of their speech ever has to be restrained. It'll be like, well, I've had a really hard day, a really hard life. My kids this, my husband or wife this, my job this, my life sucks this, whatever it may be. And you know what? People will go, oh, you're right. That's a really hard thing. Oh, you know what? This is a really difficult thing. And you know what begins to happen? 90% of your life flows in the other direction, right past you, never damned up. And you actually don't learn to restrain your tongue because you've excused it. And brethren, we just need to be honest. That when we look at the Proverbs, the Proverbs hold out to us that a mature man or woman has a tight control. It is like a beast in the field. We have tamed that beast and it works for us. I don't work for it and I am not out there chasing it. It's out in the field producing fruit for my house. And we have got to think of our tongue that way. Brethren, the Bible speaks of the tongue and the word in the New Testament as a sword. 
This is no joke. You want to tell an unbeliever how much the Word's going to come into Pearson Brethren? How about the words that you hold in your mouth and on your side? You need, to, you need to think that Word, that tongue, is an instrument either for good or for bad. You think of that proverb that we read there right at the beginning. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Love what, brethren? And it's up for you to decide for yourself. It is, it's ambiguous on purpose. Do you love death or life? Because they're both in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, well, we don't know what the it is. Brethren, it's coming down to what fruit do you want to eat? Do you want to rule over your tongue and reap the reward and the fruit of having a controlled tongue? Because brethren, you will either reap life from your tongue or you're going to reap sorrow and regret and death. That's what is held out for us. Brother, this may seem like a no-brainer, but it's often not. <laughs> I mean, nothing I'm saying is anything that required you guys to have a degree this morning. right? Nobody needed to go to seminary or any institution to learn that words matter. But listen, it's in the Proverbs for a reason. We think it's easy, and the reason the Proverbs have to give us the wisdom is because we constantly lack it. King Jesus did not go, just give him a few easy ones, right? And then I'll give him some hard ones. He looks at us and he says, son, daughter, hear my wisdom. Control your tongue. Why? Because brethren, the tongue is a hard thing to tame. The tongue is a difficult thing to master. But the one who does will reap fruit leading to life. Brethren, listen. This isn't due to no simple part that speech that flows from your mouth doesn't just happen. You're, you're not a machine. You don't wake up and flip the on switch on and you just program to talk. Speech doesn't just pour forth from you like an automated messenger. Brethren, what happens is what you hear is ultimately stemming from how you're thinking and where your heart is at. And, and, and listen, we, we recognize this, that what comes, out of your, what comes out of the mouth, what Jesus says, is flowing from the heart. That from the heart is how the mouth speaks. So how you're thinking, where your heart is at, is ultimately a, a display of where you are. And brethren, listen, every single day you make judgments, you make connections and deductions, and then guess what happens? Speech flows from that thinking, from your heart. And brother, this means that not only having, listen, because here's, here's, this is important. That means that you can talk and have right words, but, but to, be, to, 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 to think about being a ruled person with the tongue, this means that you, you not only have the right words coming out of your mouth, but you actually thought of the words that should come out, and you are intending for those words to do something good. And brethren, listen, you have to be convinced of this, that you must master your tongue. You've got to be convinced that you must master it. That one thing that will absolutely rule you is your tongue if you don't care what comes out of it. And you have no desire to try to tame it. It will tame you. You will be enslaved to your own words. And church, I recognize that this immediately for us gets right into the middle of our pride. 
right in there. When we start talking about what comes forth from our mouths, it's really easy to think of, you know, we tell our kids like bathroom talk, like bad words like that. Yeah, it's easy to think of vulgar language and potty talk and all sorts of things. But I'm talking about everyday things that we let slip by. And when we start to begin to talk about, hey, maybe you should control how you say things. You know what your, your, your average response is? It's pride. Because the heart thinks this way. What I have to say, it's important. And who are you? to say, I need to control and restrain and filter my tongue. Brethren, that is pride. When your first response to every time you have something to say is, well, i got to get my word out. You need to know what's on my heart. You need to hear me. Brethren, that is the first sign that you have a giant in the land of your heart, and his name's pride. And we have got to be careful that as we think about this, brethren, we don't let pride come in right at the get-go and, 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 and steer us from thinking, I need to think about what I'm going to say. I need to think about what I'm cherishing up in my heart. I need to think about how I'm going to speak to that person. And brethren, this is due to the fact that we always think we have something important to say when in reality, listen, it's not. You don't always have something important to say. And listen, I say that and that sounds weird to me. Like, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not saying that to you like, I got it, because that would be the same issue. Like, listen to what I got to say. But brethren, listen, tell yourself, everything you have to say, it's not important. So don't say it. And you're like, but I want to say it. I have to say it. it is important. Who are you? And then you realize you're looking at the mirror arguing with yourself. But brethren, listen, you think that. You think it. You think what I have to say matters. And the Bible says, no, it doesn't. Think about what you're going to say because not everything you have to say matters. And brethren, not having an uncontrolled or a controlled desire to express what first comes to your mind, the Proverbs call that foolishness. It is foolishness. And brethren, if that is you, you are a fool. And I mean that for everyone in here. When your heart says it, and I'm telling you that my heart says it while I'm preaching, I don't like to hear it, brethren. Recognize. Let's confess to the Lord. Lord, we are often fools. But there's a way to not be a fool. And I don't want this to end up being your undoing, brethren. Listen to this. Proverbs 18, 6-7. A fool's lips, what? Walk into a fight. And his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. And that's not just you like to open your mouth and you get into a fist fight. I mean, what does James say? What is this fighting and quarreling among you, brethren? Where is he pulling that from? Well, he's looking at these Proverbs and saying, a fool always walks into a quarrel. He always walks into a fight. Why? Because everyone's attacking him all the time? No! It's because the fool doesn't know when to shut his mouth. His mouth is a way of folly. His lips are a snare to his soul. And listen, brethren, it will lead you to ruin. But there's a path, brethren, and this is what it is. Here's how we can enter through that, that wicked gate <laughs> go and go down the road with Christian. 
What do we need to begin right at the get-go? Brethren, listen. We preached on this too. We need humility. We just need to wear it. Right? I've said we need, we need to have humility on display. Brethren, you've got to wear humility if you're going to enter in. How do I control my tongue? You've got to have humility ready and correction in this area. And we need to see that God has something for us. Christ has something for us. That He didn't die to just leave us void of how we should talk. So, let's look at a few of these. I don't have a particular order like I do. I don't have three points or you know anything fancy. But here's how I want to do it, at least for today. I want to look at mainly, I want to look at follies of speech. And then I want to look at one practical way the Proverbs hold out to us. Something that is proactive in this. Something we can begin to do. And then next time, I want to, I want to really hone in on the Proverbs relationship between speech and then character. So that what you say, and listen, I'm not trying to sound weird in this, but listen, this is biblical. How you begin to talk is actually what you transform into. It's what you become. Right? I know people like to say, speak into existence what you want. Well, okay, yeah, a lot of that's garbage. But brethren, there's a reality that what you do speak does become a reality. The way that you do talk is what you end up becoming. And so that's what we'll deal with next time. But this time I want to deal with the, what, what, do the, what does the Proverbs hold out for us on this path? If we're going to begin to think, I need to think about my speech. We need to know the pitfalls. Because brethren, listen, it is often the pitfalls in Proverbs, in the Scriptures, that begin to shape how you positively play it out. Because listen, you're not going to find a rule book, you know, buried in the dirt, or you're not going to go to the Christian bookstore and go, oh, a 500-page book on every proactive rule to rightly speak does not exist. So you're not going to find one. So you need to imbibe these principles so that you can begin to know, all right, these are keeping me on the straight and narrow right here. So I'm not going off the path. And then we can begin to see a few things that are on the path. But we need to know Where's the boundary markers for this path? Because some of these, brethren, listen, some of these will be simple and not very profound. And some of these are going to challenge even what we got going on in the church. So let's jump into these. Here's the first one. And I kind of already hinted to this. <clears throat> oh, I did it. I took a sip. Praise the Lord. Um, so this first one is this. As we think about Proverbs, listen. As we think about Proverbs, Proverbs is not a rule book. Let me, let me just say that. I mean, I, I know it sounds like what I'm saying lends itself to that, but the, the Proverbs is not like a, another extension of like the Mosaic Law or something like that. It's not like, here's just all these lists of rules, and if you do these things, you're going to be good. Proverbs are not holding out to us like, here are these rigid rules that as long as you don't do the thing in the rule you're going to be fine. No, that's, that's not how the, the Proverbs are applied wisdom. Walking in light of how God made creation, how God did give His law. Yes, it is connected in one way, but it is the king living out what he knows from God's teaching in the Word, in creation, and from God's law, and then beginning to walk and to, and to think differently in those ways. So what, what Solomon has deposited for us is actually a deposit of applied wisdom. He is taking principles and deducing this wisdom from this. And I think that's important for us because, listen, there, there is 
in our immaturity, and let's all be honest about this, like, well, we all need to be honest about this, in our immaturity, the first thing that we want in the Christian life is to go down to the Christian bookstore and just find a book that has all of the answers in there. That's what we want. We don't want to do the hard work of applying thought and thinking, and not just critically, brethren. I'm talking about, all right, I'm going to go out for the next, like if I asked any of you to take one principle in here and to think about it, to meditate on it, and something you could do for the next 120 days, how many of us are going to do it every single day? Who wants to raise their hand? Right? Okay. So listen, I'm not, I'm not discouraging us from doing that. You go do that. But I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is we're not prone to do that. We're prone to, Lord, just give me the fix right now. Give me everything. Lay it all out on the table. And the Proverbs is not a rule book for us. As we begin to think of, Lord, how do I control my tongue? Don't come to the Proverbs and just go, all right, well, I won't provoke fights. And I'll have a kind word in, in to, to, you know, to lower the temperature of the room. I'll, I'll learn when to speak in season and to have a proper word. And then the only thing you ever abide by is the letter of that proverb, right? But you never do it. You just go to learn about what you ought to do, like it's a list of rules, and maybe you keep them by not erring in one way, but you actually never grow up into wisdom. You never grow up in actually learning how to control your tongue. And uh, we, we, we just, we, we can't think of, uh, uh, of this like that. We can't think of guarding your tongue, guarding your speech, like it's just a rule book that we follow. Uh, because here's what it can do for us. It can produce two kinds of people when you do that. One, you produce someone who is only caring about the letter of the, uh, of the word. Or, or as Jesus said to, to the people of his day, you only care about the letter of the law. You don't care about the heart of it, right? He's telling his people, yeah, you, you tithe, you know, mint and, and cumin down to the like, you know, whatever the measurement is. I don't want to sound dumb. <laughs> but, you know, down to the exact measurement, but you actually don't know what the law was always given for. Mercy, righteousness, justice. Like, they don't know any of that. In the same way as we could come to the Proverbs and look at it, and someone who just wants the rule book actually doesn't learn the heart of the proverb. They don't learn proverbial wisdom. They don't actually learn maturity. They never grow. They're just looking at the word and going, okay, I'll do this. Okay, I'll keep that. Okay, I'll do this. But you know what they never do? They actually never put it into practice. And this could also lead to the second error that I think people get into. And... They be, they, they, it's, it's very similar to what like the first person does. They just want to do the letter of the law. They just want to look at the word of it. But, but the second of this is you can begin to come look at this as simply as a rule book. And brethren, listen. You find yourself simply trying to follow a set of rules, trying to, to, try, try to find your way through this proverbial wisdom, but your heart's never attached to it. Like, your, your heart's totally, uh, it, it's just not engaged into it. it it's, you're, you're, you're in the building process, you know, you're, you're putting things up, you're doing this and you're doing that, but your heart is not near God. It, it, is, it is not out of a desire to want to tame the tongue in light of fearing God. It's simply, I'm just going to do this and learn to do this so I look proper and I sound proper and I feel proper. And brother, we don't want that either. And, 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 if, and if that's not making sense to you, if you're like, well, I kind of just don't get that. Well, let me give you a couple examples because I know this will stick with you, hopefully. I'm trying to give the broadest examples possible. How did you guys learn how to drive or ride a bike? 
sure most people in here could drive or ride a, ride a bike. I mean, if not scooter, if not that, like walk, I don't know. Everyone's done one of those things probably in here. But how did you learn how to do either one of those things? Did, did, did you go down to the DMV and go, all right, let me study every, every road law out there. Let me understand safety that comes first in driving my car. Oh, and then maintenance on the car. Make sure the car doesn't break down while I'm on the road. Oh, and then what, what do I do if my car breaks down? I'll learn all the emergency signals and all the procedures on if my car breaks down. And you never learn how to drive the dang car. Brent, that's not how you learned how to drive a car. You know what you did? Your parents, hopefully, and you can just do it by yourself, but your parents got you in the car scared and they let you drive. Right? You, you had to start putting, it to, to push the analogy, stretch it a little bit more, you had to put rubber to the road. Like you had to get the thing moving. You had to actually learn how to do it. You had to drive. You had to ride. Sometimes you had to fall. Sometimes you hopefully just backed into a pole and didn't you know, ram somebody. But brethren, you got in and you began to drive. Right? You, and you become a good driver, not because you read a bunch. Maybe it helps. Of course it could help. But brother, that doesn't teach you actually how to do that. Or think of another way, brother. Listen. How many of you wanting to be a good and upright person, all you do is carry a copy of the Nevada state constitution and bylaws in your back pocket and then the United States constitution in your other back pocket so that every time you get into a moral or ethical or, you know, rule decision, all you do is just you pull out your constitutions, you figure out what the law is, and, you know, it's like, all right, this guy said something bad to me. Nevada says that it's not good if you commit first-degree murder, so I'm not going to do that, right? None of you operate that way. No, but, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but, brother, we can do that with the Bible. We can easily do what, what the Bible, what we don't do in any other area of our life that we don't learn how to be an upright person by just looking at a list of rules. Right? We, we don't simply carry around these copies to, rock proper, uh, to, you know, to walk properly. That's not going to make you a good citizen. And you know what it won't make you? It won't make you a helpful one either because you don't know when to apply the law. You don't know when to apply wisdom. You don't know how to act in the moment then when guess what? It ain't in the instruction manual. You know, it's a, and, and I'll admit, I'm the guy who needs the instruction manual. I'm not the dude who grew up tools in hand. Like, okay, so, I, you know, it, for me, it'd be like, all right, well, the Ikea thing didn't say to do that. All right, now I'm stuck. Like, I can't keep building. But you know what wisdom does? It's like, all right, well, it just needs a nail. Why don't you just get one from the store and just knock the nail in? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I could do that, right? But you get what I'm saying? Wisdom knows that when there is no law, and when there is no explicit command, brethren, it knows the heart of how to apply good and godly wisdom to a situation. Because, brethren, to do it the other way, to, to try to think we can learn wisdom that way by treating this like a, like a rule book, to just simply repeat on demand is foolishness. And, brethren, that is how children think. And I'm not knocking children. That is how they begin to learn. They learn the principles so that they can imbibe wisdom, right? Why do you follow a, a chart to help you build something so you realize, oh, it's just using the basic components of how people have built everything 
for millennia. A hammer, maybe some nails, maybe some kind of masonry or adhesive to make things stick and hold it. I mean, brethren, you get what I'm saying? You have to learn that way as a child. But you know what? If you grow up your whole life learning to build things like that, you remain a child. Because you have not imbibed the wisdom of what you are being taught in the principle. Brethren, listen, your tongue, it's, it's the same thing. It's not a chart. It's not a book. It's not a computer program. It's not a cookbook recipe where you just do the right ingredients and voila, there you have your final product. Brethren, the tongue, like I said, it's an instrument that needs to be practiced with, used with, so you, that you understand, one, its ability to produce things, its ability to grow you, and two, you know its destruction. You know that if I use this thing wrongly, brethren, use the car wrongly, may not go so well for you. Use the hammer wrongly, may not go so well for you. Brethren, you use your tongue wrongly, it may not go well for you or for the person who hears you. Listen, to Psalm 57, 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows. Teeth, spears, arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Brethren, the tongue can be an instrument for destruction. But then listen to Proverbs 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are what? Deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Brethren, the tongue can be an instrument for destruction, but it can also be a picture of the life-giving water that you can give to other people. So brethren, listen, the tongue, it's not a rule book. That's not how we learn wisdom. It is a living, and I almost kind of think of like how Hebrews talks about the word. It's living and active. It's something that actually is, is, it has potency. It has agency. It cuts, it divides. Brethren, I'm not trying to equate your words with the Bible. Just hear me out on this. But what I am saying is your words can have a similar effect. It is a living and active thing. And it must be learned, brethren, with, listen, it must be learned with experience and time. It's got to be learned with experience and time. You have got to be willing to say, yeah, the next 40 years, I'm going to learn how to use this thing. And you know what? I'm going to rule this thing. And I'm going to produce sevenfold for God in His kingdom by taming my tongue. Brethren, it's got to be ruled with wisdom, no doubt. But the one ultimately who learns how to tame the tongue is the one who applies and lives out the principles of wisdom. That's how you know that you have matured. You're doing it. So what are some other things we need to think about as pitfalls? And here's one that begins to, I think, get straight to the heart of an area we need to begin right away to control our tongue in. And that's this, brethren, anger. Anger is the enemy. And I'll say this, it's the arch enemy of the tongue. Anger. I want you to think about how James stated there. You guys heard it right there in the beginning. James chapter 1, 19 through 22. He tells them to be slow to speak, right? And not be quick to anger, right? And you begin to flesh that out in the Bible. Brother, I was, I, was, I was telling Sergio, I was so blown away 
how many times when you look at the speech and how the Bible comes to you to speak about your tongue, it's almost always in relationship to anger or murder or, or, or quarreling, fighting of, a, of an angry, upset, uncontrollable person. And we all may think, yeah, okay, that's an easy one. Angry people? No one likes to be around angry people, right? Someone's angry? I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be the stranger. Like, someone's angry on the sidewalk. You know what I'm doing? I'm going to the other side of the street. I am not going to rush headlong into a, a, a firestorm. But you know what can also be the same thing, brethren? People that you know, your spouse, your children, your parents, whoever it may be. The same thing, brethren. You know you don't want to be around somebody who's angry, even somebody you know, because anger, brethren, is the quickest way for someone to turn into something that they have never shown themselves to be. Right? That quick. So you may think, well, okay, well, okay, why focus on anger when aren't there other destructive patterns in the Bible like lying and, 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 and dishonesty and, 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 and constantly flattering people? And yes, we'll get to those. But you, listen, anger, brethren, is the chief enemy of the tongue. And we got to take this one seriously because you go to look at the Scriptures and that's the ones we brush off because we get to application scripture and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Control the tongue. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Speak, you know, kind to one another. You know, tenderhearted, loving as Christ. You know, you, you know, we just right through those. But listen, scripture tells us that when it comes to anger, it is the one who cannot control his tongue when he is angry and upset who bursts out in violence and in quarreling. It is the one who eventually leads himself to murder and death. And we got to hear that. I mean, brethren, listen, not very long ago, this was right here in town. And, and some of you brothers know this. But there was a pastor here in town. Been a pastor here for years. One that we knew in some sense by association with the church that we came from. Years in the ministry. Years in the church. Years being a pastor years teaching, you would think he would be the kind of man who would be self-ruled and who would be one who's governed himself. And you know what? That was displayed over the years, maybe visibly to other people. And in one instance, brethren, guess what? Anger overtook him and he shot somebody, a pastor. We're talking about a man with a wife and kids now who no longer have a father because the man could not control his anger. And brethren, ultimately, when you can't control your anger and it comes out in your words, brethren, this is everything I'm trying to tell you, your words will turn you into something. Your words and anger will turn you into angry and an angry and violent man or woman. An angry or quarrelsome man or woman. One author stated like this when I was reading. He said, a lot of material in the Bible that deals with speech and anger occurs together for much the same reasons, listen, that warnings of drinking and driving go together. Right? To, to translate that, because that's not hard, but you're like, hey, you drink and drive, and listen, not a good mix. Right? Drinking, driving, terrible mix. Don't mix those two things. We all recognize that, but don't mix your words with 
anger. It is often a poisonous concoction and one that will kill you. Brethren, it's toxic and deadly. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. Receive, listen to this, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Brother, listen, this, this is a natural progression here within, within Proverbs and within James itself, right? The self-ruled person right here, he has tamed the tongue, and because they have learned to tame the tongue, what's the, what's the, what's the characteristic of someone who's learned to tame their tongue? What do they do? They listen. They're not the first to speak. They're not the first to burst out in, in, in many words. They're not the first to let tempers flare, to let anger rise, and to let anger dictate things. Brethren, the one who has tamed their tongue is because they have learned to listen rather than to speak. I mean, you think about that. Times when you've opened your mouth, not angry, but because you had no control over your tongue, your words led to quarreling, bickering, anger, and murderous thoughts. And maybe you're not thinking about killing somebody, brethren, but Jesus says hatred in your heart is the same as having murder in your heart for your brother. Think about that. Because you just weren't careful with how you even initiated a conversation, maybe in patience, maybe in what appears to be meekness and lowliness and kindness, you just had to be the first one to speak. You couldn't control it. Guess what's beginning to brew? The, 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 the concoction of anger, brethren. It is boiling up and brewing itself, ready for you to drink down. So listen. What is the first step in here of trying to kill anger? Brethren, stop talking. You find yourself opening up your mouth and every time the path leads to anger, bickering, quarreling, fights, disagreement, dissension, tension in your family, can't be near your wife, can't be near your husband, can't even look at your kids. Brethren, shut your mouth because it will lead to anger and to death. I'm not saying that to insult you. I'm saying that to keep you from stumbling in the way. That's the progression. And listen, the one who doesn't want to hear this, this is what he does. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And what does James go on to tell them? The reason that you murder and you do all these things, you seek your own desires. You're only interested in being right, in being heard, and in being at the, the helm of authority over other people. You don't seek others' good, and you don't seek wisdom. You seek simply to be heard, to spew forth words, and to be right. And he says, you isolate yourself, brother? Yeah. Well, what's going to happen if you go bury yourself in a closet for a week? You think you're going to live a great Christian life that way? Burying yourself in the closet? Brethren, you can do that while attending church. You can do that while attending the prayer meetings. You isolate yourself from the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God's people. You are those that he says he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool, listen to that, a fool who can't listen first. 
takes no pleasure in understanding. When your mouth just has to be the first one open, you don't take pleasure in wisdom. Don't kid yourself, brethren. Don't kid yourself with the, with the coffee signs that say, you know, have the Bible verse about coffee. Don't fool yourself. Bibles and books on the shelf, brethren, don't fool yourself. Just tell yourself, I'm a fool. I don't actually want wisdom. I don't want peace. I don't want understanding. I want to be right, even to the point of blood. That's what I want. Because that is what it is. The fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18, 1 through 2. But listen, Scripture, brethren, recognizes at a point where this folly will manifest itself clearly and potently is you don't have controlled words. And it is always a recipe to mix with your uncontrolled anger. Brethren, there are times to be rightfully angry, is there not? You guys angry on Saturday? You angry when the women come out of there limping? Are you angry when people look at you with disgust and they don't want to hear wisdom? But brethren, you know what you don't go home and do? You don't go sleep on your anger. You don't go home and bury your righteous indignation. Brethren, this is often the case. When we're angry... We want to isolate ourselves. We just simply want to be in the right and we don't want to, we don't want to enter into reasoning with other people. And brethren, this is what this thing does. It enters in like a fog. It's like putting blinders on. You ever tried talking with and reasoning with someone who is just angry and bitter and all they want to do is quarrel with you? You know what that's like, brethren? It is like trying to get a dead person to move. I mean, it's like talking to a brick wall. And it's because this fog just comes over them. This cloud comes over the mind. And in the midst of the anger and only wanting to be heard, there's no reasoning ability. And you know what, brethren? That is a dangerous person. That is a dangerous person. And they only love their words. And they only love their reasoning and they only love their counsel, and they only love their own wisdom. And brethren, the Proverbs would hold up to you. Be careful. It's a big caution sign. Brethren, as you're learning to control your tongue, you need to put away anger. Be careful. You don't know what your anger can produce. Brethren, you may set the whole thing on fire with one word. So another one, and this would bleed into this too, to avoid chaos. Brother, another one for us to be warned in is letting our speech create chaos. And, 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 and this happens in light of the other one. When you only want to be heard, you have no filter, no control over your tongue. You don't apply wisdom to not only should you speak, but how you should speak something. Brethren, there's not going to be harmony in order. And what is harmony in order? A display of life. It's a display of fruit. It's a display of life. It's a display of, of things being cultivated, of there being order and care and love given to something. But when you don't control your tongue, It'll be evidenced by chaos. Listen to this. The words of a man, and we already talked about this one. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now listen, two statements right here. There's a, there, there, there's a neutral statement. The words of a man's mouth 
are deep waters, right? He's drawing from a very deep source. Lots of resource when it comes to the amount of words you could have stored up to say. But it's the one who drinks from the fountain of wisdom that it only bubbles up like a brook, right? It's not a geyser. It's not like Yellowstone. Every 30 minutes or however, you know, 40 minutes, it just comes up and it just bursts onto the scene, spews forth everywhere. Everyone is shocked for a bit and then it dies back down. You are just like a constant, steady, bubbling stream with not a lot of attention, something almost nobody looks at, passing by on the way. And brethren, it's because this, because you're not causing chaos. You're not causing destruction. It's Proverbs 25. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will what? How does he do it? Does he break open the ground and let it come gushing forth? No. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Brethren, intentional drawing out of that great reservoir of water just drawing out water, knowing how much you need, what you need it for, and when you're going to apply it. Brethren, thoughtful, careful understanding of what you are going to say and what you're going to do it for. Not letting water come and rush and gush out, and now there's a flood coming not only to sweep other people away, but yourself away. Brethren, this is related. The tongue and words of a person are related here to that imagery. And there's, there's actually a whole thing. I had to stop myself from doing a biblical theology of deep waters and the tongue. Couldn't do it. But sufficient for us, listen, is to say, it's neither a good thing or a bad thing that you have a deep well to draw from, brethren. It's what you're going to do with it. God has given you, listen, this is something He's given to you as a gift a deep reservoir of water, of stored up words. And it is your task to draw it up. It is your task to, to, to not only draw it up, like I said, the way you speak will translate to how people view you. They look at you and they're like, that's a fountain of a brook, of a peaceful river bringing water and giving life and not the coming of a flood every time they talk. People shouldn't look at you and think, here comes the hurricane. Here comes the man who always sweeps everybody away. They should look at you and think, here comes the life. Here's someone, every time I talk with them, it just, it just nourishes my soul and my heart and my home. I talk to them and it's like I got clarity on how to, how to treat my kids and to speak to my wife differently and how I should come into the church and treat other people. Brethren, it's just life-giving. But words, brethren, if you are not careful, they easily swell up. They easily swell up and they get spewed out and they burst out into the open like a raging flood. So we want to be channeled we want to draw out water. We want to be steady and calm and drawing out words to speak. We don't, brethren, want to create chaos. But listen, in order for that to be true, you need to recognize, brethren, that that is your God-given responsibility. Why did we read Proverbs 27 at the beginning? 
Know well the conditions of your flocks. Brethren, listen. That applies to you. That doesn't just apply to pastors. Know well the condition of your own home. Know well the condition of your own heart. Be able to take an honest assessment and look out and know your own self well. And think there are consequences. There will be a consequence to how I talk. I will either flood this place or I will give it life. And you're talking about not only people around you, brother. We're talking about your own soul, the own heart of your own ground. Proverbs 18 states it like this, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Brethren, let it be something sweet. Let it not be chaos. Let it not be anger and death. Let it be something sweet because it's controlled and it's life-giving. Brethren, here's couple more before we close and I'll make these ones quick and we need to hear this one men we need to hear this one women you need to hear this too but men you are prone to this one in a way that I'm hoping women aren't because you hang around enough men for a while doing hard tasks and you know what spews out of men's mouths filth Right, they're working around dirt. They're working around hard things. They're working around things that are not clean and nice and pretty. And decide, you know what? Speech flows out of men's mouths because of their environment, brother. And it's often filth. And we need to know that the Proverbs would hold out to us that you would remove filth from your lips. It's not enough to be a watered well that gives life to other people, brother. It's got to be pure. You're not going to be any good given water to your own life and to your own family and to other people when it's tainted with poison and it's got filth mixed into it and it's got nothing but rank things flowing downhill with it. We need to consider this temptation for us. So I want you to hear a couple of these and I, I think this is the New Testament reflecting upon this and then giving us this kind of thing. So listen, Ephesians 4.29. Let no, listen to this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Brethren, listen, it's, it's the other two combined, but it's adding another thing in here. It's not just, all right, I'm not going to do this in anger, and uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to try to seek to cause chaos and, and a flood come out, but listen, brethren, it's also the purity of the word. Because people can easily think, oh, I got to say something really, I got to really get them with what I'm about to say right here, really kind of shock them into what they need to hear, and that'll really give them life, and that'll give them this and that. And they think they're delivering peace, and they think they're delivering something not out of anger, but out of love. And you know what the Bible says? You just delivered rank filthy water to somebody because it was corrupted with the talk coming out of your mouth. Another factor for us to consider is not only the words, brother, but what they are. Only such, right? There's the discretion. Should I say this? Well, Paul gives you one way to discern whether you should say it. Is it for the good of building up? Now listen, brethren, that does mean sometimes being honest with somebody. Brethren, you're in sin. Sister, you're in sin. Brother, that was not very wise. Sister, that was not very wise. But you know what? It's not tainted with filth and corruption. It's not tainted with malice and envy. And it is not tainted with something as simple as not using potty words and cursing and vulgar language. That 
cannot be in the recipe for your words. Let, let me listen, brethren. You don't even need to know Greek to know this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your words. Not most of the time, but a few occasions fit. Brethren, no corrupting talk ought to come out of your mouth. Colossians 3.8, But now you must put them all away. What? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and vulgar talk from your mouth. Ephesians 5.4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Brethren, you want to purify your speech? You let thanksgiving and the things of God be on your lips and not filthy, vulgar, crude speech. And brethren, this is important because listen, there are going to be people who are going to try to convince you and to tell you that it is okay at times for Christians to use filthy, nasty, vulgar, cursing language in order to shock people into reality. And brethren, I am not here to create a caveat right now. What I'm here to tell you is, do you believe those texts at face value? Do you hear them and go, no coarse talking is coming out of my mouth. No cursing is going to come out of my mouth. No foolish, filthy, obscene, vulgar language will spew forth from my mouth. Because, brethren, listen, there's one thing to cut people to the heart. And you know how the, Old, the New Testament does it? Brethren, it comes in and it speaks the words of God to people. What it doesn't do is curse at them. And it doesn't invite them in to think of dirty, nasty, vulgar, crude joking. It doesn't do it. So you want to be biblical? You want to shock people into reality? Brethren, put the words of God on your mouth. Don't put the words of men in crude, coarse joking on your lips. You must remove that filth if your words will show yourself to be one who is ruled. Brethren, when you hear that, even from people you respect, you know what you need to conclude about them to some degree? They are not mastered in that. They are not ruled in that. They are not mature in that. Even if they're 50, 60, however, they're, however old they are, however long in ministry they've been in, however many years they've been in the church, brethren, if that comes out of their mouth, don't make excuse even for the brethren simply because they bear the name Christian. You tell them, brethren, that's filthy language and it has no place in your mouth. And the brethren, that's hard to do. When it's your brother, if it's Manny, if it's Nick, if it's Nick Perry, if it's Michael, brother, you know how hard that is to say to the one you love the most, brother, that's filthy. Why is that coming from your mouth? But brother, if we want the untainted, un, unmixed word coming from our lips, we have got to put away filth. No filth, brethren. May it never be on our lips. Brethren, the, the last one I have here before I, I want to close is this. We need to be aware of what I would call the two F's here, and I'm not talking about bad words. I'm talking about flash and flattery. If, if we want to be people who are self-ruled over our tongues, we need to be aware of flash, and we need to be aware of flattery. And I want to deal with the first one. Be, because the first one is connected to the second one. But here's the first one. And here's another thing too that is, that is good for us. Brethren, don't think because somebody has mastered the dictionary well, someone who is really good with words, 
Someone who can really just, it's like they talk and it's just, poet, like they say, poetry in motion. It's like you hear them and you're like, man, every time I feel like I open up my mouth, it's like hooked on phonics. And they open up their mouth and it's like Mozart is coming right out of their mouth. And listen, brethren, I'm not knocking learning to, to progress in your speech, of refining things. Brethren, I don't want to sound like a five-year-old my whole life. But you know what? You know what God holds out? You know what Christ held out in the New Testament as the faith that ought to be mimicked and imitated? It's the faith of a child, brethren. And ultimately, when it comes down to someone who is self-ruled over their tongue, it is not someone who has learned to talk a good game. And it's not someone who's learned to flatter people with really eloquent words or a good blog or a good podcast. Brethren, it does not matter how smooth they are in their words. If they cannot control their speech and their speech pours out and displays that they lack godly Christian character, brethren, I don't care how many people listen to them, watch them, go to see them at conferences, whatever the case may be, they are not worthy of your time or attention. And guess what, brethren? Listen, and men, this goes for us right here. We're not worth each other's time if that's coming out of our mouths, but we don't have the character to back it. We are not worthy to be listened to. And listen, men, that hurts you. I know it does. What you desire in your home is to be heard. You you know, I mean, uh, uh, one guy says it like this. You know, you know what men desire. You know what's feel for them to live a life of joy in Christ. It's respect. And people who are respected, they're listened to. Their counsel was always taken into consideration. Something happens in their life, man, I'm going to Nick and I'm going to Manny, right? I need to know what those brothers have to say, but you know when I'm not going to them is when they like to wax eloquent, but they live a terrible life. And their speech is not conducive to their character. And it is not someone who really, brethren, just because you've mastered the dictionary does not mean you have mastered your tongue. Don't think those things are the same. And don't flatter people and cause them to go off into idolatry on a pedestal propped up by men to make themselves feel great. Brethren, if we can't control our tongue, even with simple and yet profound words, to control our tongue in light of our character, brethren, we are not someone to even be given the time of day. We are the person, as James says, you need to stop talking because it's not going to end well for you. So stop. Brethren, the second one is this. And the, and the Proverbs and the Psalms have a lot to say about this, so I'm just going to read a few. But flattery. And this can come out in a lot of ways, but I want to, want to read some of these Psalms first. And then I want to read a couple of the Proverbs. I think it'll kind of flush it out for us. But here's Psalm 78, beginning here at 34. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But what happened when the people returned back to God? They flattered him, speaking of God, with their mouths. They lied to him with their mouths tongues. Listen, their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. 
Here's Psalm 36. Beginning here in verse 1, just a few verses. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. For, how is there no fear? He flatters himself in his own eyes. That is, iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. Brethren, listen to that. This is a natural condition of a man who is not born again in something you have to fight against as a Christian. The tendency is to flatter your own self. Forget other people doing it. Brethren, we're the best flatterers of ourselves. We know how to make ourselves feel better, to talk ourselves up. And I'm not trying to tell you then, your, your reaction should just be to always think poorly of yourself. As it's, oh, what was me all the time? But brethren, listen. Words here are important. And the one who flatters himself in his own eyes, his iniquity can't be found out. And that's why he says, or why it says, there's no fear of God before his eyes. You don't want to know why? He's talked himself up so much, he thinks no one will find out my iniquity, and therefore I don't have to fear God. He won't know. Listen, most fools don't say that out loud, but when you do that, that is what you are saying. There is no God. I won't be found out. My, my foolishness won't be found out. Why? Because I'm, I'm good. Right? I, I, I'm good. I'm okay. My words are fine. Right? Because listen, His words are trouble and deceit. Well, how are they trouble and deceit? Because He, because he is constantly saying what you want to hear. But He never acts and lied to them. And you know how David talks about men like this? Men that used to serve Him, what did they do? They backstabbed Him in the day of trouble. Their words came to bear and they were all untrue words. And brethren, listen, your character will come to bear at one point and all of your deceit and flattery will be exposed because you, you, you sought to not act wisely anymore or to do good, which was to do what? Listen to wisdom and instruction and be corrected in the way. All you would rather have is to flatter people with flattering lips and to be flattered in return and then tell yourself, I'll never be found out. I'll never be found out. I'll just always say the right thing. And you know what? It'll I'll always be safe. And listen how the Proverbs close us in this. And you'll probably know some of these examples and I hope they kind of they, they, they give you, a, like, who are the kind of people who put these things on their lips? Well, here's the first one in Proverbs 7. All you got to do is look at that title head to chapter 7. Words are not coming off a good person's lips in this chapter. You listen to this, Proverbs 7, 14 to 15. I'll read it at 13, just so it makes sense. She, speaking of the adulterous woman, seizes him, kisses him, and with bold face, listen, bold face like flint towards just flattering lips and lying tongue looks at him and says I had to offer sacrifices and today I had to pay my vows oh man what a great religious woman she is flattering lips to entice someone in the way so now right I've come out to meet you 
this pious, flattering woman. I've come out to meet you. I've come to seek you eagerly, and I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, covered linens from Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love. And you know what that man's thinking? Man, she must really think I am great. And she's a religious woman. And she went and offered her vows and her sacrifice. She did all the things. And then she found me out. Oh, brethren, in the flattering, the person who loves to flatter other people with their lips takes that and then flatters themselves with the words of other people. And you don't want to be the person who gets caught up in flattery because it'll lead to your destruction. Brethren, it is deceitful. Flattery begins to make you see yourself in light that is not true. You think what you're doing is like, man, I think I've really grown over the years. People are always telling me this and telling me this and telling me this. And you know what? You're not walking out more into the light. You're just being pulled away more into more and more darkness. And you just don't see it. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Brethren, we need to hear that and to think the next time we go to open our mouths, are we simply trying to hide something by speaking words of flattery to somebody rather than speaking words of grace and truth to somebody? Because listen, the Bible holds us accountable. A lying tongue, you don't love the person you're saying it to. No matter how much you think, and I love them. I really do. You don't in the moment. You don't love them then. And you, you are preying on them as a victim. It is if you are prey, and they are your, or you're the, they're the prey, and you're the thing coming after them. In your mouth, brethren, it's only working ruin for them. And we have got to beware that these two things often find itself together. Somebody appears flashy, somebody appears on the outside with their words and by their, by their deeds out in public. But when we begin to know people as they really are, when we get to know them close, when we get to know them personally, when we get to know them intimately, when you get to know yourself in front of the mirror, Brethren, that is not the time to let flattery ride over the mask of flashiness because that mask just ends up becoming a hardened shell in someone who never lets wisdom come in and to heal. And brethren, they become victims and you become someone who has victims in your path and ultimately one who brings ruin. So brethren, what do we do from here? And this is what we'll get into next time. So I want to leave with this, and then this is where I'll jump in next time, but I want to go back to that passage in James. And here's what I want you to hear about from James as we close. I want you to notice what he connects together when it comes to listening and being slow to speak versus the one who revels in vice, who is quick to anger and always quick to a word. Because what we would think then is, well, all we got to do is just stop talking and listen. But 
Hold on. Here's how James, I think, has defined the one who listens. Know this, my beloved, or my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the man or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 21. Therefore, put away. Listen, he's telling you to be slow to hear, to listen, and then he tells you, therefore, here's the conclusion. Put these things away. Put away the filthiness. Put away the rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. You know what you're receiving, brethren? Hear, my son, your father's wisdom. Receive it with meekness. One who is lowly and humble, and you receive the word which is able to save yourselves. But be doers of it. Not just hearers only. So brethren, how do we begin to be those who are self-ruled in our tongue? Brethren, yes. Stop talking. Put away wickedness. Put away your anger. Put away the chaos. Listen. Take wisdom in. Open up your Bible. Get on your knees before God, as James says, and pray if any of you lacks wisdom. And then he says, but... Be doers of the instruction. Brethren, walk in the way. As Psalm 1 says, meditating upon the Word day and night. But then He acts. He does. And then everything He does, He prospers. Brethren, be quick to hear. And then be quick to keep your mouth closed and simply go and do. Don't open your mouth. Don't debate it. Don't quarrel about it. Receive instruction. And you know what? Go and do it. It's like what I do with my kids, what I'm training them to do right now. Dad says, go clean up. You know what I don't want? A debate on the philosophy or abstractness of clean versus unclean, what that means. No, 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 no. Go clean up. And you know what they should go do? Yes, Dad, I'll go do that. And they go clean up. Brethren, listen to wisdom and instruction. Keep your mouth closed. And then go and do and watch your words become self-ruled. Let's pray, brother.